welcome to the Macaw Podcast Universe. Um, and speaking of universes, we're still in the throes of Marvel. Phase three. Phase three. This is the second one in it. We're hitting Doctor Strange today, which I gotta say, pretty freaking good movie. And I feel like it's a movie a lot of people are going to forget as time goes on. But it's good. If he does, but he, not a lot of, I feel like I'm not a comic book person. I'm uh-huh. just a lay person. So I'm speaking as a lay person. Uh-huh. I feel like a lot of people will forget about him because he is not a, a well-known superhero. He's pretty well-known. I'm talking as a lay person. Okay. Okay. Not as a comic book person. I think if they if they knock the sequel out of the park, then it, yeah, I it, think so. it'll yeah. be like totally. Because I think a lot of people um, in the Avengers movie um, were, were very excited to see him interact with, with all, the other else. characters. So I, I think there's a lot there. And then, of probably course, in because, Endgame, he's not really there yeah. too much. But, but probably because this is perhaps the most self-contained Marvel movie. It's up there, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I remember it. I thought they like doubled down on the Infinity Stone thing, but they just mention it at the end of the movie, kind of offhandedly. Mm-hmm. Um, man, this is a really good one. I like this one a lot. The first time I saw it, uh, the um, was here at, at this very apartment that we live, and oh, I really? was yeah, it was on Netflix, and it was I was getting ready for Infinity War, and it was one of the few I hadn't seen. So I was watching it, and I was just kind of like practicing guitar, because sometimes I'll do that, as you know. And um, I was kind of like, yeah, that's a solid movie. I like it. It's, it's good. It's good. It's, it's got some ups. It's got some downs. But then when we watched it this time, I was like, this is great. I love this. Yeah. I'm all about getting strange. Yeah. What did, what did you think? Because you've seen it time, twice as well. Yeah, the first time I saw it was at the Miller's house sitting, and it was on Netflix, and I was like, just bite the bullet and finally watch it. I think this was before Infinity War 2. Yeah. But um, I, I kind of half watched it because I was doing work while I was watching it. Mm-hmm. So, and it was like, I was like kind of getting back into Marvel at that point. But I think that I had just got fixated in my mind that Benedict Cumberbatch was such a bad choice. Yeah. And I like him as an actor. I think he's great. But I just was just like, his accent, he just sounds really bad, which is not true. But he sounds really bad. Yeah, I and remember his accent being really bad, but it didn't really so bother fine. me this it's time. It's so fine. Besides that, him, he's got a few words that he says oddly. But who cares? Yeah. So that was just dumb to me, which is not a dumb, it's not valid. Yeah. And then um, I didn't wasn't a fan of the Rachel McAdams things. With that being said, I love Rachel McAdams. Uh-huh. She's a great actress, but her character I wasn't a huge fan of. I'm more of a fan now. Yeah. Of what they did. Um, well, like, we'll get into it more deeply, but yeah. um. The, so the second viewing, I was just like, man, this movie has got to be one of the most personal ones out of all of them. Yeah. And, and they're all pretty personal movies. Yeah. And I I, I think, um, yeah, the, the first time I was, I was really just excited about the visuals because it's a visually stimulating yes. movie. But the story's pretty solid. Yeah. And like all the stuff about like Tilda Swinton's character, like kind of be, doing some bad questionable stuff, which makes like one of the the Chiwetel Ejiofor guy like want to leave the path at the end of stuff. It's like, Oh man, I hope they double down on that in the next movie. And you know Cause what? that is so interesting. I know this movie isn't about, it's not about science. It's about spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that kind of realm of stuff. It is very, uh, um, expository. 
Like, there's a lot of explanation yeah. going on into how it all works. However, this is a good example of them doing it well. When Ant Man, it's all that is scientific. Yet there still is a way to do it sci- to to convey it without boring someone or confusing someone. This one, spiritual, it's the same thing. You could just either bore someone really easily or confuse them really easily by like, okay, what is this religion? Yeah. But they, I feel like they did a really good job because the effects were so good and it was so visual. Well, and I, I also think you can get away with exposition in tra- like training things. Yes. Because it's the same thing with like the Matrix. There's a whole sequence where um, Lawrence Fishburne is training um, Keanu Reeves, but you're seeing such new Name's stuff. Nemo. Um, Isn't it? D- did you say Nemo? Isn't that his name? No, it's um. Oh my gosh, it's Neo. Neo. Oh, not Nemo, not the yeah, fish. Ne- yeah, that's a fish. Um, that was close though. You were close, yeah. But um, so he's like training him. And what's cool is like you're be- while while the character is learning about it, you are too. Yes. So you're experiencing the same thing the character is. So you're learning along with them. So it's really exciting. Yes. You're not just being told. You're like experiencing it with them. And it's the same in this movie. Mm-hmm. It just this one's such a good one. I I really was crazy about it. This, I'm hoping this watch that through. using even that example that the directors or writers probably more of the director like was like I want it to be like The Matrix. Yeah. Like movies like that like using actual examples to inspire how to provide information of this new world for for, for a first time to a character yeah well and i think what's also very interesting i'll just go transition right into my notes here so it's directed by scott derrickson Mm -hmm. and he's a horror director yeah he did he did sinister deliver us from evil exorcism of emily rose so he's a horror director and I don't know if you noticed the first time I didn't quite notice it because I didn't know he was a horror director. But there's a lot of like horror influence in the movie that I was noticing. Okay. No, knowing that, I think it's kind of it's a little behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Like again, if you don't know it's a horror director, you might not notice it. But if you do, you're like, okay, I see his sensibilities, and um, and I think that's how he's able to get in touch with some, especially like the mystic stuff because yeah. he's directed these movies that are um, that have like you know, demons and, and weird stuff By like that. By the way, that. I've always wanted to see Sinister, and I think I just mm-hmm. missed it because um, Ethan Hawke's in it. Oh. And I was reading the description because I never really knew what it was about. And it's about, like, a I think he's, like, a, a true crime writer or something. And he found, like, there's this case. It's, like, I'm assuming some unsolved case. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of um, film reels, I think, from, like, the 60s when it happened. So oh, a lot cool. is like it's investigating things that happened a long time ago. And I'm assuming realizing that whatever happened was not of this world. Oh. Isn't that such a cool premise for a horror movie? That is. We should watch it. Yeah, sometime. we should watch that. Um and so then the the other thing about it, okay, you know, produced by Kevin Feige, um, written by John Spates, who wrote The Mummy, the new one, which of course is bad, but it is horror. I'm just saying, like, there's a weird like horror influence on this movie. Um, Passengers and Prometheus, which also has horror. Um, Scott Derrickson, C. Robert Cargill, who wrote Sinister 1 and Sinister 2. So it's interesting that Hmm. that influence is in there. And I'll talk about this later when we get to the end of the episode, but for the sequel, Scott Derrickson has said that it is going to be, like, much more horror. Like, they're going to, like, kind of double down on the horror. Because... it, I guess they want to go Well, what's cool into is, that. I mean, the, it's a mystical movie, and mystical is so close to things that can be really scary. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, because they're dealing, I mean, there's even like that, that basically that God being thing at the, the yeah, end Do- of the movie. Dormammu. Yeah, that the, his, his goal is to make everything nothing, 
like in a yeah, nutshell. Yeah. Um, which is like pretty horrific. I think they do a very good Guardians thematic. Yeah, visuals, like the color. Which yeah, I think yeah, is yeah, and it's yeah. also yeah. the the quantum realm and Ant Man, they also kind of keep to that yeah. kind of visual too, which I think is very smart. Mm-hmm. Um but it is a lot of like uh horrific kind of things. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. And it's just so cool because like um Benedict just looks so much like they made him look so yeah, much we like were, the character. We were it's kind of like the J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson. Yes. You put them back to back and you're like, oh, that's well, that's what you and I were talking about is perfect. And I guess it's it's kind of a hard examples to come mm-hmm. up with, but like with Doctor Strange, it's like they really just double like he's a double down and they're like, We're making him look like the comic book character to the T, like he just came out of the panel. Yeah. And and I think back then a lot like maybe in the first phase or something, it's more like, let's make them look like people. I don't yeah. think that's that hard to do because like, I think Tony Stark actually looks comic booky for yeah. sure. Um, but then it's kind of, it's kind of a hard example though. Cause it's like, well, Bruce Banner just looks like Bruce Banner. He's just a guy. Yeah. Like I'm assuming he just looks like a guy. In well, a comic the, book. the weird thing about like the whole history of comic book movies is like, they started out like really campy. And then when they tried to get more serious, they slowly started making them less like colorful, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But they still, you know, like Spider-Man and X-Men are still like really out there movies yeah. in, in a good way. Um, but then like the Dark Knight comes out and what's, what people forget about that movie is they, they say it's so realistic and gritty and stuff like that. But when you watch it, you're like, it's a, those, all those movies are really comic booky. I mean, still, Bruce Wayne looks like Bruce Wayne. Like and, Christian and, Bale looks like Bruce Wayne. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they are like dark and gritty, but it's like it's like Warner Brothers, especially when they went forward with new um, movies, they learned all the wrong lessons, and and they 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 were like, let's make everything realistic. Um, and now it seems like Warner Brothers is trying to, like, like with Aquaman and Shazam, they're trying to be like, oh wait, we should actually embrace the fact that it's this can actually be fun. There, I mean, there is a reason why people got into comic books. It's not just the story, it's the visuals too. Yeah. And dark is not bad, but no, it can be. And, and it's, it's cool that, I mean, phase one Marvel, like they do go a little bit more realism, but they still, they never, I appreciate that the cinematic universe has like never like forgotten that it's a comic book. Yeah. And it's cool that now we're in a place where like, it's so mainstream that, they can do some really weird stuff and everyone like some people are like, Oh, that looks cheesy or corny. And I just go, if, if we've gotten this far and we can't have um, the Hulk be a professor Hulk, like what was the point of making this whole or universe a fat Thor. or a fat Thor or something like yeah. why, why would we even go here if we're not allowed to like make or like a raccoon, like, or a tree, like that's the cool part about it. Yeah. If you want reality, this is not the place to be. So yeah. Um, and there's a time and a place for all that stuff. Yeah. Like the Dark Knight, yeah. And, and I know but, you're, I know you're using it for other examples too. But also like the Joker movie that's coming out. I yeah, mean, that's probably going to be the most realistic version of a comic book character that well, we it, might have seen. It, but at the same time, it might not be because I mean we haven't seen it yet. But yeah, and that came out uh, two weeks ago, I think. The Joker. Yeah. When this comes out. Oh. Because <laughs> this is the future. Um. So, um. Let's get into the music here. So Michael Giacchino did this one. Oh, really? Yeah. Who's like the main man? I didn't know that. I mean, he, he did Coco. Nuff said. And Super 8. And Rogue One. Nuff said. The guy's a, the guy's a classic. Th- this was a pretty good score, right? I mean, we watched it yesterday. We so even I'm... mentioned how they were like, oh, this part's really good. Okay. Like that's, the whole that's part when 
he broke his hands and he's going through all that stuff that whole sequence oh yeah it was really nice oh yeah because there was a nice like piano piano score yeah so that's pretty cool um cinematography ben davis that's guardians three billboards so he's he's in the he's in the marvel cinematographer guys production marvel studios distributed by walt disney and this comes out november 4th 2016 um, and it's nominated for Best Visual Effects. But do you know what won? It didn't win. 2016. I think sci-fi. Indie sci-fi. 2016 indie sci-fi? Mm-hmm. Ex Machina. Yes. Whoa, nice. I did not think you were going to get that. Come on, Micah. The visual effects in that movie are just so, so nuts. Yeah. You know what was another thing about the the visual effects in this movie I really appreciate, though? Is um a lot of times it doesn't really look that realistic, yeah. and I just I, I, I like that. But they, it's a style. Yeah, it's a style. Yeah, like sometimes you can tell they're in front of a green screen and stuff, but it it almost like adds to the unreality of the world because the world's like not real when they're in like the mirror dimension and stuff. So I I, I like all of that stuff. I think it's cool. Um, budget one hundred sixty five million. Um, one hundred and sixty of that was paid to Benedict Cumberbatch. And they made the rest of the movie on five million. No, <laughs> um, the, more than than um, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. They just really wanted Smaug in this. Um, is it Smaug or Smog? It is Smaug. Yeah, okay. I don't like pronouncing it that way though. It makes it. I feel like a nerd. Well, Micah, you're doing a podcast about movie franchises, so domestically, the movie makes two hundred thirty-two million six hundred forty-two thousand nine hundred twenty dollars. Worldwide, it makes six hundred seventy-seven million seven hundred eighteen thousand four hundred and seventy-five dollars. That's a knock out of the park. Um, so a new world pick. Yeah, if you move that, I can hear it. Um, well, good thing I wasn't talking. Good thing I didn't even address it either, so it can just be cut out easy. Crap. Uh, new World Pictures originally wanted to make a movie, and the script dated back to nineteen eighty-six. Whoa. And then in 1989, a script by Stan Lee, the Stan Lee, and Alex Cox was um, made. And then in 1992, Wes Craven signed on to do a movie with Savoy Pictures. Did we? Oh, Scream Guy. Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street. So once again, another horror guy. So all these horror guys are like attracted to, to Doctor Strange. Strange. That's kind of Doctor. I mean, Strange. Um, 1995, David S. Goyer completes a script. So that's uh, one of the co-writers for... Side, no, 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 that's, that's, Ari, um, that's David Ayer. David, David S. Goyer is... He, he co-wrote um, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Did you just say that? And I was about to. Oh, okay. And then, but he, has also, he also co-wrote like Batman v Superman, and he's kind of a DC guy. Okay. I think he writes comics for DC as well. Okay. So then in 1997, Columbia begins working on movie. And then in 2001, Dimension Films is working with Goyer to make that movie. 2005, Paramount gains rights. Uh, that's um, and remember they did that with Iron Man. They they gained his rights. And then in 2007, so again another two horror guys. Again, what I'm about to say, Guillermo del Toro and Neil Gaiman pitch an idea. Whoa! <laughs> I want to see a movie like that. They should just make a movie. I don't care what it is. If they teamed up to make a movie, yeah. that would be cool. But a Doctor Strange movie by them, man, really wish I would have known, like, we could have seen that. Yeah, that would have been cool. And like, this movie was good. <laughs> I know, I know. So that happens in 2007. 
Then in 2010, Marvel Studios hire writers that don't wind up making the cut. Whoa. So, so, I mean, what did I say? 1986. So this movie is literally 96, 30 years in the making that they've been trying to, like, crack this movie. And then January 2013, Feige announces Doctor Strange is going to be in Phase 3. And when he announces it, you know, it's like, okay, his word is bond, like, it's going to happen. Um, so then this this is a quote, um, Wikipedia again. Uh, in June 2014, Derrickson was chosen to direct the film. He had written a 12-page scene for the film featuring Strange and an assailant fighting in the astral plane while a doctor attempts to, to save strangers, a strange's physical body in a hospital. So that makes the movie. Based on a sequence from the comic Doctor Strange of the Oath, Derrickson illustrated the sequence with his own concept art alongside storyboards from professional artists and an animatic, which he presented in a 90-minute pitch to the studio. The cost Derrickson, this cost Derrickson in, quote, obnoxious amount of his own money, but he felt it necessary to prove that I wanted the job more than anyone, especially after Marvel told him that more people had lobbied to direct Doctor Strange than any of their other films. Derrickson ultimately had eight meetings with Marvel for the film. After he was hired, Marvel bought the 12-page scene from Derrickson, and it became one of the film's main set pieces. Wow. So he man. tried hard to get this Good movie. For him. I'm glad he got it. Yeah, and you can see the passion. I yeah. mean, it's there. Um, just wild. Just so wild. Um, and then Feige had this to say, you don't get it in Harry Potter, but if a scientist went to Hogwarts, he'd find out how some of that stuff is happening. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but there will be some of that, and particularly for a character like Strange, who goes from a man of science to a man of faith, and who traverses both worlds. You don't get it in Harry Potter, like you've like he, that's he, just not something that's happened. No, he's saying like he's like there's no there's not like he he's basically saying like we want a magical world, but we're also like he's like a man of science, like learning about the magical world, and it's like he he just compares it to Hogwarts. Okay. And like if a scientist went there, he'd be like, oh, this is what's happening. Okay, that's what I thought. I just made didn't make sense for a second. And I think it just kind of shows like, I mean, he the guy's a genius. Uh, Feige and he just is like keyed into culture so he he so he's like watching these movies and he's seeing like what's working and what's not so he's like oh man Harry Potter like this movie needs to have that kind of influence so it's pretty cool smart of him um they chose Nepal as Derrickson felt audiences wouldn't be very familiar then after the earthquake in 2015 he wanted to keep it there so that it would promote the tourism oh in the area wow um because, you know, when it happened, it's like, oh, it'd be easier to go somewhere else. And he's yeah. like, no, let's do it. So I'm liking this Derrickson fellow. He's a nice guy. Um, and then ILM began work on film 10 months before filming to plan Manhattan sequence. Wow. Um, What's yeah. ILM? Uh, that's um, that's a, um, a special effects company. Okay. Yeah. So... And you know what's kind of interesting on these movies? Um, I don't, I haven't been getting into it, but especially with like this and Guardians and stuff, they'll have um, different special effects studios working on different things. So there was like a whole studio that was just working on his cape for this movie, and then Whoa. there was then there was like ILM that was just working on that Manhattan sequence. Oh, and so they hire all That's these smart. different studios. You're not. I mean, in a way, I feel like they do it because not to not put too much. Because I feel like giving one thing to one. To a company is already putting too much on their plate. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. So That's they cool. they 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 switch it up, and like certain people are better at you know like characters. Uh -huh. So like the Cape people were the same people that did Groot and uh, uh -huh. Rocket. 
So they do that that stuff oh, in the movies. Oh, cool. That's cool. And then I think, you know, there's probably a whole company that just does, like, green screen stuff. Yeah. And then all that other stuff. So kind of interesting. Yeah. The special effects industry is just so fascinating to me. Yeah. The other weird thing is it's in this weird condition right now um, where movies require so many special effects that basically the people who are doing it's not it feels like at some point there might be like a bubble burst like it's not really sustainable the amount oh. of special effects that because you know it used to be you'd have like 30 special effects shots in a movie now you have like 3,000 and and um and they they're you know, it's kind of like the video game industry where, you know, you have these like 12 hour days and they get paid like minimum wage and they don't have benefits and stuff, you know, stuff like that. So it's just like one of these days that might not. I just want I, I just it. wonder I if at some point that they're going to have to be like, OK, we either have to do more or these movies have to cost less or something. Yeah, Cause we, we, it's not sustainable. Or if movies will just start looking worse, the special effects. Wow, that's weird. Probably not, though. They'll probably figure it out. Um, so that's what I got. What do you got? Um, I got some people that I would like to talk about today. Okay. Starting with Doctor Strange himself, Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay. He's not in very many things, is he? That's a joke. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of British TV is how we start out, including a BBC movie called Hawking, where he plays Stephen Hawking in 2004. Oh, Okay. Um, he's in Atonement, the other Berlin girl. He's in Sherlock. Wait, which girl is he in the other Berlin girl? Okay. He is Sherlock in the show Sherlock by Stephen Moffat. Mm -hmm. One of the coolest shows ever. Great show. Um, and then a, sh a show that is, it's a little unfortunate that all of the people who are in it are too successful now that they can't really make the show anymore. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's the, really the only reason. Yeah. Um, including Stephen Moffat. Yeah. he does a lot does he still do a lot of doctor who stuff i, I think, don't know I, think he, I don't know much about him oh from my understanding from back then he like was the doctor who guy but i could totally be wrong too okay. he might have just written um well the funny thing when i, I was listening to a i was like re-listening to an old blank check episode and because um you know uh, david lived in london so he's all he's all into the he, he watched all those shows and stuff the weird thing is like british tv is much more like they can like take like five, ten year breaks and then do like a Christmas special. Mm -hmm. And so Sherlock kind of falls under that, I think. But I think since it got so popular in America, we're like, how come it doesn't come out every year? And it's yeah. like, that's like normal over there. Yeah. For us, we need consistency. Like the, the consumer demands. Yeah. Like an overabundance of it, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and even like like Luther, the, yeah. the Idris Elba show, they did what, three seasons, like pretty close together. Or, or maybe it was two. And then it was like, like three or four years, then they did a fourth one, and then they've announced a new season, but they haven't. It still oh, like hasn't come they're out. They're gonna do it, but it's like shrug. I don't know when. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's a lot more normal there. Interesting. And then in um, 2011, he did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and War Horse. And Tinker oh, yeah. Tailor Soldier Spy, I tried watching. I gotta try watching it again. I think I was just not in the right mood. It was so boring. I watched me. it and I was bored out of my mind oh you were oh yeah. okay maybe it's just like too too much dialogue not in an interesting way because that's all it was yeah which is not usually i'm into it i'm i'm older now so maybe it would be fine but i was that's like what I, it felt kind of like an old of an mind. old person movie and i was like but there's so many actors in this movie i love yeah. why am i so bored maybe it won't be now and then 2012 is hobbit 2013 is a crazy year for him 
Yeah. Star Trek Into Darkness, 12 Years a Slave, Fifth Estate, August Osage County, and Smaug. See, this is when I get a little bit. When, when they, so around here, I think they announced that he's going to be Doctor Strange. And in my head, I'm like, I get that he's a good actor. And I, and I do like him, but I'm like, too much. Because he is good, but he's not always good. Some, some of those movies you mentioned, like, he's not the best in. This is my relationship with Benedict Cumberbatch. The first time I saw a picture of him was an old IMD, like, whatever his IMDb picture was before this one. And he looked like a monster. Oh, he's kind of scary. He's looking. weird. And His I, eyes are remember weird. You, me, Shane, and Sydney were hanging out, mm-hmm. and you guys were saying that this guy named Benedict Cumberbatch is playing Smaug in the Hobbit movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's the cr- dumbest name I've ever heard in my life. And then you guys showed me a picture, and I was like, that man's scary. He looks like a dragon. Yeah. And then I see Sherlock, and then I'm like, he becomes a celebrity crush for me. Yeah. And then. Weird. <laughs> And then when Star Trek Into Darkness came out, I wanted to see it because of him. Yeah. I was so into it. I remember well, seeing Yeah, it. I got so into him yeah. too. But then I think I think part of it was like how much I hated the Hobbit movie mm-hmm. that I that I kind of was like, okay, like enough. He does not have to be in everything. I think after this year, 2013, I was kind of done, like by the end of it. Because yeah. I didn't, I was not, I just never really wanted to see the imitation game. Because that's yeah. the next year. And oh, it's just like, really oh no, we, I saw it. It's yeah. a good movie. I finally saw it, but a long time after it come out, and I'm just like, oh, you're just getting. I'm getting Cumberbatch fatigue. He's in too much, but mm-hmm. I think he's great. So then, 2014, he's in Hobbit and Five Armies and Imitation Game. 2015's Black Mass, and then this movie. Yeah, I think Black Mass is where he has a bad accent. He's got a really weird. What's Boston funny accent. though is I saw um like a that one An interview with the guy. No, I saw, um, there's a guy on YouTube, um, and I think he does it with like Vanity Fair or like one of those dialect stuff. And he, he analyzes dialects and he compared them with the real guy and he's like, it's like dead on. Oh, okay. But most people aren't familiar with how that guy talks. So it just sounds like he's doing the worst accent in the world. That's but it's so interesting. It's actually dead on. I love when I hear stuff like that. So it's like, oh, he did do a good job. Yeah, he did it's a just great me, job. I'm the problem. But yeah, yeah. And, and that's cited as people are like, oh, he can't do accents. Or at least for me, it was. Maybe and when then, I saw that, it kind of like threw me off. And then I saw the Doctor Strange trailer and I had already made my mind up about him being bad at American accents. Yeah. I'm the problem. Yeah, but well, I'm I'm back on the Benedict train. I I don't think he's like he's not like DiCaprio for me. Where it's like I know he's gonna knock it out every time. I want to see his movie. Every people time. should look up him doing a pr- an impersonation of Alan Rickman. It's insane. Have you ever seen it? I haven't seen that. It's, it's exactly. I mean, he already has a deep voice, uh-huh. but it's insane how much he sounds <laughs> like Alan Rickman. That's we'll, wild. We'll look it up. Okay, and then next is Rachel McAdams. Um, yeah, where's this at in her career? So she begins one. Well, I mean, she's in a lot of stuff in the beginning, but in 2002, Hot Chick. Oh my gosh! And then what a nightmare of a movie. Then in 2004, she's in Mean Girls and Notebook. Mm, That's a big year for her. Yeah. Um, and then 2005, Wedding Crashers and Red Eye. Red Eye. I never really had an interest in seeing until I read what it's about today. And yeah, it's Killian s- Murphy's in it. No, I've seen it. Don't tell me. Oh, is it good? Yeah. Oh, I really want to watch it. It looks like a really no, I, good thriller. No, I was kidding because maybe people haven't, and I was oh. pretending like. Is it a really good thriller? Well, I mean, when I saw it, I thought that I was younger, and I was like much more like thriller. Like he any thriller like, was fine. Takes her hostage on a plane. Yeah, but but it it, it seems like he's he took her hostage. Oh, and, it's got good scores. It's probably and he, like really is making good. her 
do something that will kill someone and and not like she's the one doing it but she's the cause of it yeah. so it seems very dramatically dramatic and he's he's west craven as the director shut up yeah oh wait no i don't know if i have seen this because there is um no no i haven't seen it um i'm getting it confused with flight plan with jodie foster Oh, which is like that. the same thing, but um, it's not as well regarded, it oh, looks like. We should watch Red Eye sometime and Sinister. Oh, they came out the same year. And they're both like... Sinister and Red Eye? No, Red Eye and Flight Plan. Oh, that oh, was probably one of confusing. One of them's the knockoff version. Yeah. Which one? I'm imagining it's probably not the Wes Craven directed one. Yeah. But actually, the other one didn't have bad scores. It was just mediocre. Maybe we'll maybe we, the maybe we watch one. them both. <laughs> um. Okay, and then 2009, she's in The Time Traveler's Wife and Sherlock Holmes. She's also in a Sherlock thing. Is she um, Irene or whatever? Yeah. Eileen Adler? Or... Yep. Oh. Which are, so who is that? That's like the, um, that's like his girl equal. Oh, okay, okay. Because I knew what that, I, I remember what Watson's wife looks like. And I'm like, that's not her. It's no. that other yeah. British actress. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember her in Sherlock Holmes. And then uh, she's in Midnight in Paris, a movie that Micah didn't even want to watch past 30 minutes. For <laughs> what reason? I couldn't tell you. And then... And I won't tell you. And then in 2011, she's in Sherlock 2, 2013, About Time, which is a movie I now want to see because I just found out that Donald Gleason's in it. Yeah. And I think it's on Netflix. And I You can watch it without me. I can't get That's enough fine. of Dommel. And that now that she's in it, it's like... Yeah. Sure, sure, the premise is kind of cheesy and it's definitely a chick flick but i'm gonna watch it um i'm gonna watch it <laughs> and then in 2014 uh she's in a most wanted man man 2015 southpaw and true detective and spotlight oh so she had a big yeah. year too i forgot she was in southpaw yeah i've i missed it yeah. i never saw it um and then tilda swinton i, I didn't try very hard on her filmography because she's just in so much yeah a lot of British stuff. She's in Vanilla Sky, I guess, in 2001. Okay. She's in Constantine and Narnia in 2005. Narnia's the big oh, thing. Oh, she's for, the witch, right? For, for our generation, Narnia is like our Tilda Swinton moment, where it's like okay. this woman. Ex I, I'm just speaking for our generation. Okay. As 20s millennials, it's like, oh, she's the witch in Narnia. Yeah. Before that, I have no idea. Uh -huh. um, and then she's in Benjamin Button. We need to talk about... That's a curious case, if you've heard of it. Okay. And then 2011, she's in We Need to Talk About Kevin. Which we do is a need very to talk about him. good movie, but not for the faint of heart. We talked about it uh, last week. Oh, we did? We did talk about it I'm on about uh, it again. Civil War. Also, Vanilla Sky stars Tom Cruise. Yes. Yes. We do need to watch it at some point. Cause we just got to... Because Cruise is... We got to take the cruise. And then 2012, Moonrise Kingdom. 2013, Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah. She's in Moonrise. Yeah. And then she's in Snowpiercer, a movie I couldn't finish. I've never it seen was it. bad. And then 2015 Trainwreck. She's in Trainwreck? Yeah, she's like the wow. the boss who's a big B. Okay. Um and then I did Matt. And she's all she's also does um Conan O'Brien's stunt doubles. Funny. 
It's a it's a bit he would use on his uh, show all the time where he would. Oh yeah, I got a theory about. Well, not he a would, theory. He would make fun of the fact that they look like each other. Yeah, I'm just saying this now because it's now in the public. Like anyone can hear this now. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, whoever would want to make a Bowie a David Bowie biopic, she has to be the star. She has to play David Bowie. Yeah, yeah. There's no no one else can fit the role. It's Tilda Swinton. Except people. Benedict Cumberbatch. Actually, that's true. That's <laughs> very kidding, no I'm no kidding. no. That's actually. She is. If she's unavailable, get Benedict. But if you, but you gotta get her if she's <laughs> available, because she would be the perfect David Bowie, I think. Yeah. And then we have Mads Mickelson. Mads Mick. And remember, so this is his second acting credit. Pusher, directed oh, by I Nicholas. You were saying this movie. No, I'm no, like, no, 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 it's sorry. not. Sorry, Pusher, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah. Really intense, nuts movie. Yeah. And it's crazy that he started acting in 1996. Yeah. Like, I, what did he do before that? Because he's, like, not that... He's not super young mm-hmm. when he started acting. And then he's in Casino Royale, Fall Hollow Rising, another Nicholas Winding Refn movie. He's in The Hunt in 2012, a movie that Michael will never watch, but he should. Also, everyone should see The Hunt because it's very, very timely for all of the Me Too movement stuff going on. Oh, okay. It is... I guess I'll have to watch it. Nuts, and then he's he's Hannibal in that Hannibal show that comes out in 2013. Oh yeah, but I didn't really look up anyone else. I mean, like Michael Stuhlbarg. Yeah, Stuhlberg. He's the in, guy that you see in like a hundred movies. But always his best great. role, a most serious man. Oh my! Gosh. One of the best Coen Brothers movie. One of his few starring roles too. Yes, he is unbelievable in that movie. He's so good. And then Chadwick, or uh, not Chadwick. We also Boseman. got Chiwetel Ejiofor. That's what I was gonna say. He's in Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah. So uh, in in 2013, he was in Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah. And then he does uh, The Martian, Z for Zachariah, Secret in Their Eyes, a remake, and then. In this year, he's in Triple Nine and Doctor Strange. So I don't know what Triple Nine is. It, it was a movie. Um, let me see who was in it. I I didn't see it. It was like a bank robbing movie with um, Anthony Mackie, Falcon, uh, Casey Affleck, Aaron Paul, Woody Harrelson, oh. Kate, Kate Winslet, Gal Gadot, Norman Reedus, Michael Kenneth Who's Williams. Gal Gadot. That's a uh, Wonder Woman. Oh. So. Yeah, that's what we got. Um, pretty loaded cast in this movie. Like most Marvel movies. Yeah. They, they don't, they're, they're not super into undiscovered talent. I feel like (laughs) until you get to Spider-Man. Yeah. It would be cool if they, um, if they did do a couple of movies where, but besides just Spider-Man where it was like the hero, like no one had seen. If they pulled like a Force Awakens and it was like. Oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting because you would think like my mind goes to like, well, Chris Pratt kind of. Nope. He was really established no. by that time. So the, I know and even like, the side characters in that. It's like, I guess. Besides Drax. I guess Mantis and Drax in the Guardian series. But other than that, it's like on it's people that are really well known. Yeah. So um, thank you for listening. <laughs> So the movie starts off um, super cool. There is this like kind of intense, and again, horror sensibilities, uh, decapitation. Like Mads Mikkelsen oh. and his group go into this library. Steel, steel they open this book, book, rip out the pages, and cut off this librarian's head. And it's like a shadow And they take thing. it with them. Do they need it for like a spell? They don't take his head with them. They put it, it like goes in a bucket thing. Oh, maybe they do. And I think they take it with them. And they use it for that spell at the one scene, I think, maybe. What did I just say? 
Well, no, I was like confirming what you're saying. Um. <laughs> uh. Anyway, that's that's interesting. Um. And then they they go out, and um, Tilda Swinton is in like a yellow cloak. She looks really cool, but we don't see her face. And she's like, "Stop! You guys can't go anywhere." And they're out in New York, and they create like what what reminds you very reminiscent of Inception. Yes, where the buildings start folding on each other yes. and they start jumping. And this is that sequence, I believe it was probably this one, and then the one later in the movie that the company ILM was working on before they even started filming. They worked on Inception. No, no. Um, remember I said. Oh no, no, no! I get it. I get they it. worked yeah, on yeah, those yeah. scenes like yeah. ten months before they even filmed this movie. Yeah. So they're going, and what's just so cool is like the buildings are folding on each other, and I love what some of my favorite parts in in all this is like how the person in control of the magic will just like change the orientation. So all of a sudden, people who are like standing up straight are like falling, and then they're on a building, but they're hanging on like a window in in a direction that's not like how it would be if it was in real life, and it's all just really cool stuff. And she's got these cool like orange blades. That are like orange? magic blades. Oh, yeah. I, that's another. Th- I really like the way they sh- the the magic is in the movie. Like the um the orange stuff. The the orange like it, it really pops Sparks. and it's like yeah it's got this like fiery kind of thing about it that um just looks great. I mean, remember that great scene in Endgame when they come back and you just see the circles going. I mean, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. So, um, we got that whole scene. Already, you're just like, what is this? I'm so into this. And then you cut to Benedict Cumberbatch, and they do... This is just great directing. Really great directing. For a while, we're just seeing his hands do stuff. Did you notice that? It's like close-up shots of just his hands. Performing surgery. Performing surgery, and you're finding out that he's like a music-obsessed person. And maybe, and he has like a, you can tell he's got kind of like a photographic memory. You can can also tell that he's very confident because he's listening to, to... you know, he, he's very opinionated about what mute song is currently playing. So he has someone change a song and it changes to something else. Meanwhile, he's performing surgery. Yeah. And he's just talking. It's just as if it's just he's working at an office on his computer, having the same like kind of office politics conversations with people while he's performing surgery. Yeah. Like most movies depicted as it's very nerve wracking. Yeah. You know? And so it's very, very like that's your introduction. He's very confident. Yeah, and and I forgot didn't I use a counter example? I just thought it was so cool how we were we were like one minute into seeing his character and I knew everything I needed to know about him for the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. But I feel like I was using another movie as an example of Ant-Man. that. Was it Ant Man? I think so. Oh. Well but, I don't know. Was I don't, it not? I don't think it was. Oh. It was something we had watched pretty recently, though, I think. But but it's just, it's it's great in a movie like oh, this. Oh, probably Pet Cemetery. Oh, yes, it was Pet Cemetery Because that movie, it was like, you finish the movie, and I didn't really... You, of course, you do know things about the characters, but it, it's not like... Like, there was never a scene where um, Judd, the main character... Not Judd, um, but anyway, the main character, Lewis, like was like just doing his job well. It was always like plot, 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 plot. So we, I didn't really learn anything about him except for stuff I knew from reading the book. And this, it's like they, they spend two minutes just by the way they put the camera, by the dialogue, by the things he's doing. I know everything about him. From the rest of the movie, I don't need any more backstory. Like I'm already set. And it's interesting that he's, he's um, pretty similar to Tony Stark. 
and yeah. his cockiness and overconfidence. When we talk, the funny thing is, we talked about this that like most of the male leads in the MCU are just like crazy cocky. Yeah, and but this one is so like egotistical. Very similar. Yeah, like Tony and Doctor Strange. Um, but with the interesting part is like. I mean, this is who will always kind of be like Tony Stark in that way. Mm-hmm. But he goes through dramatic character development. Um, yeah, Benedict he, Cumberbatch, because he literally lose ev- loses everything. Yeah. I mean, Iron Man, like Tony Stark has lost pretty much everything too. But it's as if they reacted to, you know, they're humans. They reacted to a, to their losses differently. And Benedict Cumberbatch, by the end of this movie, is becomes a stoic person. Yeah, And it's like, there will always be that little bit of humor in him, of course. But like... Yeah. He is he is very different by the end of the movie, and I like it. Yeah, it well, it's because he's like reached enlightenment, and it makes him different because he's like, not relying on himself. And he like it's not it's not like he doesn't care about himself like he used to. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and and what's interesting is that like Tony, his arc takes him like all of the Avenger movies and Iron Man to get to where he's like actually a decent person yeah. in a lot of ways, and by the end of this movie. Doctor Strange, when we see him in other movies, he's still a little bit cocky, but mostly he's like, no, I just know a lot of stuff you don't know about. You got to trust me. But he he has already like made that change. Yeah. Um, so it's cool because it kind of differentiates those two characters. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, we find out him and Mick Adams used to have a little thing. And then... They have pretty good chemistry. They have good chemistry. I, I you hope... can have chemistry with anyone, though. She's, she's so good. She's so good. I love Rachel McAdams. And she probably went to college and majored in chemistry. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, and I love, I love uh, Game Night, which is one of the best There's comedies chemistry ever. chemistry with Jason Bateman in that movie. And she's so funny in that. Um, and then this is the point where he's driving around. You know, we know he's cocky and stuff. And he is in his car and he's looking through file. Like he's driving really fast around this and he's trying cliff. to find the next surgery but he will only take super high profile complicated surgeries because it's like it it's as if it's not because he cares about who he's saving but it's to challenge himself to do the next hardest thing and he wants the recognition that's a big yeah. thing because yeah. later when we meet that other character that was paralyzed we find out that dr strange could have helped him but but he knew that it was a hopeless cause so he didn't want to help him so he Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, which is yeah. a tells you a lot about his character. Yeah. And the the interesting thing is It tells his, you that he doesn't have faith. Yeah. Which he learns throughout the movie. I mean, the whole movie in a way is about faith. Yeah. Because he like learns to have faith. Yeah. And he only has faith in himself currently. Yeah. And the the accident that he got into was caused by like the only person he can blame is himself. Because he yeah. was driving really rec- recklessly, basically texting and driving. Mm-hmm. Um going way too fast in his really nice sports car but but that's cool yeah and he gets into this accident that he should not have survived yeah and it's he it's all his fault and yeah and he's which is interesting because he only has faith in himself and because of that because he's a human that he he will fail yeah and he finally does and it's a classic thing we can all relate to it's like you write books i write music if it's taken away from me who am i and what's what's awesome is I remember I had remembered that at the end of the movie his hands were fine, but when we watched it, they're not fine. You remember the mm-hmm. end of the movie, the last no, was, I think the last really shot, his his that. hands are still shaking. Yeah, and it's like so he pr- probably couldn't do medicine again. He has to like do this other thing. Um, so good. But I, by the end of the movie, that's not a hard choice. 
Yeah, which is a really well-written story. This is a good one, guys. Um, so then he's in the hospital, and he's got the crazy, like, apparatus, and you can see his hands are, like, totally stitched and stuff. Yeah. And McAdams is explaining to him that they did the best they could. And then Michael Stuhlberg's there. And what was so crazy is he's not even thankful to be alive, and he's not even thankful that they tried to do his hands. Because he, he says to him, What did they do to me? Yeah, what'd they do? And she's like, she's like, um, we couldn't do, this is the best we could do. And he's like, I could have done better. That's what he says. He's like not even thankful that they even attempted to try to heal him. Yeah. Or that they saved his life. Yeah. And so now he's just looking for some way to get his hands back. And then he's going, he's going to like physical therapy. And remember, he's talking to that guy. And again, egotistical, learning so much about his character and and he said he t- tells the guy has anyone ever gone through this and actually recovered and he said there was one guy who was paralyzed and he got through it but but he said the guy came here 3 days a week for like one week or not that long and then he, suddenly he never came and the guy was like i just assume he died and and, and he then, walked then by he, him on the street yeah then he walked by him on the street and emphasis on walking cuz this guy was paralyzed from the neck down yeah um and so amazing right crazy thing that happened so through all of that it it gets to the point where benedict's like i need to find this person how can they just recover with seemingly not going to physical therapy well and and the one thing before we get past that scene yeah i just i just love how the he's like show me the file and he's like i can't show you the files like that's not legal or something like that and he's like but if it'll get you to stop like if it'll put you in your place because you're an egomaniac, I'll show you the file. Yeah. Like, that's how far... The guy's willing to, like, go outside of the rules to to make him get some egg on his face. Get that Benedict egg. Mm-hmm. Benedict eggs. Yep. Whoa. Egg Benedict. Eggs Benedict, yeah. Um. So then um, Stephen goes and finds the guy. The guy's a, an actor from 24, where I recognize him. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty good actor. He's mm-hmm. a, I like him. Yeah. I'd like to see him in more stuff. He's a good character actor. Yeah. And um, and then he basically tells him, like... I went to... What's the place called? I don't remember, but it's in Nepal. Yeah. I went to this place. Learned a lot of about spirituality, basically, but he, I only learned a shred of what was there. And, and but I, I learned was what I needed to know. And then I left. And he's what's cool, too, is he's playing basketball in this yeah. scene. Yeah. Like, he leaves, like, his game to walk over and talk to him. And that's cool man i i really like this movie a lot <laughs> it's funny because um for the the listener um my sister listens to this podcast and of course she's listening right now but um w- she'll always text me and it seems like we just kind of have uh, we agree on a lot of the marvel stuff but a lot of it we disagree and she is not a fan of this movie so i think this whole episode she's just gonna be like Ugh. Well, maybe not. Maybe she'll. Well, you know maybe cool. we'll change her opinion. Maybe. Um, what's cool is throughout this process of him trying to fix himself, he gets his hair gets longer. He grows a really gross like beard. Yeah. And it's it's partly because he's so obsessed mm-hmm. that he he he's not taking care of himself. Also, he can't shave because oh, of yeah. his hands. Oh, like, that's he, a good touch. Yeah. He can't like he literally can't take care of himself. Yeah. I mean, like, Rachel McAdams has been coming and, like, it seems like she's been coming and cooking for him. Yeah, and then he, like, tells her off. He's, like... He's ungrateful because he just... He was on the phone with some people who were, like, I'm not going to do... Like, other doctors. Like, I'm not going to do that surgery. It's not possible. I'm not going to, like, 
basically waste my time because it's not possible. Mm -hmm. And so he's just at wit's end and she just happens to show up and he takes it all out on her, all of his um, problems out on her when she has done nothing but be like faithful to him and love him. And I'm assuming, cause you know that they did have a romantic relationship at one point, you know that you can There's tell some tension no, there, but you can tell that she still loves him, but she had to stop because because of his he destructive was, he was personality. Nev- well, he was never going to change for not change for her, but he was never going to give her what she was giving him. Yeah. And she made the adult mature decision and was just like, well, I'm not going to be with this kind of person. Mm-hmm. However, you still see that she has that hope because yeah. she is helping him so faithfully to just take care of him. Yeah. And then finally he does tell her off and she leaves, which is like, you have the right. You, you probably shouldn't have been helping, you know, like, yeah. but she, she has been. Well, sometimes when you're in destructive relationships with people, you need at, at some, there is a point, there's like a breaking point where mm-hmm. it's like, if, if anything's going to happen, it'll have to be on your terms. And a lot of times like her, she's, she's upset, but you can tell she's like, I'll come back to you, but you, it's up to you now. And he, I mean, he kind of like makes fun of her for that in that moment because he was like, well, what do you think is going to happen? You coming over, bringing me wine and cheese and all this stuff. Like basically, oh, you think that if you're just here like a little puppy dog that I'm going to like finally fall in love with you and give you everything you want. Basically, he's calling her selfish. Yeah. Which is just like not true. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that there was that hope for her, Mm -hmm. but she's doing it because out of like a selfless love, I would say. Yeah. Um, so then he finally gets to the temple and he meets the ancient one, which is Tilda Swinton. And then this is when they start doing, like, he starts learning all the crazy stuff. Yeah. And, um, I, I always, I, I mentioned this to you. I always like this kind of dynamic in movies where it's like someone knows this mystical thing and the person's like, you know, they say like, you have to look. And then the other character's like, I am looking. And it just looks like that. And they're like, no, you need to look at it. Like, I always fall for that. I just think it's so fun. Um, so she's trying to explain to him and he's like, oh, chakras and all this other stuff. This is just that stupid well, this medicine. Is stuff you, this and- is stuff you get in a gift shop. Yeah. What's cool is, is that she shows him a lot of crazy S before she throws him out. Yeah. It's as if his response is the response that he had to it. Yeah. Because you know a lot of, in a lot of like movies, you show up and it's like, I want this thing. No. And then they have to sit on the doorstep for three days. Yeah. For them to finally be like, oh, they've proven it. She's just like willing to show them. Yeah. For sure. And then there's this whole like it's kind of two thousand one a space yeah. odyssey, like space portal, where he's like flying into all these other dimensions and it is so cool. It is I I remember when we were watching it, I was just like, How who comes up with it? Yeah. Whose job was it to come up with this stuff? Because it's so cool. It's so psychedelic. And it makes me like bummed that I didn't see it in theaters. Because I mean, that would have been so breathtaking. And especially because that was like the first experience with Doctor Strange. Like everyone was probably like, what? And they did a really good job effects wise or whatever. I don't even know if this would be a, a hard thing to do, but he's in these things that are all, you know, CGI, green screen stuff. But when he's thrown back into the chair, it, it's just an interesting shot. It's as if the camera moves really quickly. Yeah, so and it he's blends like really back. well. And then that one part when he falls into the chair and falls out of it. Yeah. Like that part is like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot and a lot of shots in this movie where the the camera is moving a lot. 
Yeah. But all these effects are happening. And I feel like a lot of the times the camera is kind of stagnant to let the effects do their thing. Yeah. But this movie is like following the effects or letting them do it in real time with the characters. And it makes the effects look better. Yeah. It's very cool. It's so it's such an interesting, I, like I told Mike, I wish they that would happen a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically, you know, he, they like kick him out. Then he, they finally are like, okay, let's teach him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they start teaching him and he, and, um, you know, to like, she, she uses her cool portal thing because he's not doing well and like puts him on Everest and says, you have two minutes before you start dying. You what's better cool get back like, or 30 minutes, 30 minutes. What's cool is like, you know, he, he is a man of a, a scientific man. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of like him doubting all of this stuff and thinks it's kind of just crazy. But I feel like it, there's not a, the most of the movies, not him being convinced. Yeah. It's, a, I mean, it's be, probably because she just shows him mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, it exists. How do I do it? But, um, it's, it's cool. Cause I don't think like they could have wasted a lot of time with that. Yeah. And they, they just jumped right into it, mm-hmm. which is cool. And it's cool too, that it's more character development where he is going to the library and that's when he meets Wong, who will be his sidekick eventually. Yeah. Um, and he, and the guy's like, you've read all these books and he, and he was just like, yep. So you, you tell, you can see like he is super intelligent. He is a speed reader. He is a doctor that holds several, I'm assuming several doctorates mm-hmm. in medicine. So it's like, it's not just some doctor, like anyone just coming to learn about spirituality and stuff. Like he knows how to study things and learn yeah. things. So it's like, cause I think a lot of the times when he's a science scientist going to do the spiritual thing, it's so different that it's as if he's like dumb yeah. through most of it. But I wouldn't say that that's the case. No, no. It's, I mean, it is, you know, like, um, when gaining a faith, if you, if, especially if you're like an analytical person or something like that, like, like if you were to become a Christian or something and you are like, read a lot, like you're going to like power through like a lot of stuff so mm-hmm. that you can understand what you're starting to believe. Mm-hmm. So it's. And a lot of his is like one, just because it's who he is, but also he is still motivated by fixing himself. Yeah. That's why he's voraciously reading everything. And that's, yeah. that leads him to, um, Seeing those forbidden books that uh-huh. only the, the ancient one can read. Yeah. And then he sees one that has missing pages and he, he reads as much as that book as he can until he gets to the missing pages. And that's when he first uses it. Am I jumping ahead too much? No, this is, you're okay. right where I was at. He, he, um, this is his first time ever using the time stone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uses it to, well, first of all, they have a really cool effect with an apple. Yeah. Where he's eating the apple and then he makes it go forward and it, eats it and like makes it moldy then makes it go back and it becomes whole again and it's and the camera is also it's one shot and it's and it doesn't have to back and forth with it which is so cool it's so cool and then he makes the pages reappear through time yeah um love that he sees it's like dark magic pretty much and he has photographic memory so he remembers all that stuff yeah and so yeah this dark magic basically speaking of eternal life like the possibility of eternal life of course that comes with many catches Mm. But he, mm. he, I think he reads it and is like, how can I help this to fix myself? Yeah. Then he gets caught and by Chitwill. Did I say his name right? Ch- Chitwill. Chitwill? I, I thought it was Chitwill, but it's C-H-I-W-E-T-E-L. Oh, Edgefor. Edgefor, yeah. Mr. Edgefor. Mr. Edgefor and Wong 
catch him. And this is something that I didn't notice until the end of the movie that I think is something that they kind of forgot about. And maybe not though, I might be wrong, but he, they never take the time stone away from him. And Micah made a point that like, well, the time stone's kind of just sitting out there for anyone to take, which is like, yeah, that's true. But like, it's an infinity stone. Yeah. And they know that. Yeah, I guess so. So like, it's weird that they never like confiscated that from him when it's just hanging on his neck and they know that he just used it. And it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm able to just kind of overlook it, but it is kind of weird. Yeah, it, it it is weird, but it, it yeah, it's one of those things where it's like I don't because I like the movie so much, I don't care to like explore that. That's a mess up. It's just fine to me, you know. Yeah, but and I do I do get it. It is a little bit like that is weird that they never took it back from them. It's just like they forgot. That's, that's of course, the weren't they attacked at that same time? I think around that time because that's when he also learns. That's when Wong gives him this whole presentation on how there there's three doors to New York, Hong Kong, and London. And they basically, they're all like basically force fields around uh-huh. in those cities that are protecting the world from that God that, that, that wants to, <laughs> what a cool yeah, that wants to obliterate everything. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Cause he, while they're in the library, Mads Mikkelsen's attacks them. Yeah. So I think it's right after he explains all of it. Yeah. So he just has it in his neck. They just haven't. So you could assume that had they not been attacked, they would have been like, all right, hand that back to me. Yeah. Well, I guess you could. You know, that would be how I'd explain it. Yeah, so then Mads Mikkelsen shows up. And before that, there was a scene of them, because now they all have purple eyes, <laughs> which looks kind of funny. Uh, yeah, um, it's a little odd. But um, before that, there was a scene of him and his, like, minions, like, cast, like, doing the spell mm. to, to start this process of, of um, immortality. Yeah. And I think they still need to take down these people. That's why they show up. Yeah. I mean, because they'll get in their way. So yeah. they ambush him them and they destroyed the door to london and yeah benedict is forced through the door into new york mm-hmm. and the door back to where he was at is like broken or like he can't get through it yeah so now he's in new york and it's a really cool scene because he like opens the front door and you see that he's in new york now yeah and i just thought it was very well done it's that, great that's great stuff and then there's like this cool hallway fight, and then the cape, which is a relic from like previous. We don't even know the and backstory. Earlier, like, it says like your relic chooses you. Yeah, it like breaks out, or he like smashes into glass while he's fighting Mads Mikkelsen, and the cape or some minion guy, and the cape comes out and like chooses him. Yeah, which is a cool moment, yeah. especially because he gets thrown off this balcony, and it's and the so, cape flies it's so by. like over the top when you see him, like when he comes and levitates up, and the music's like really big. Oh yeah, and you're like, yeah, that's as over the top as I would want it to be. Yeah, that's that's now the moment. It's Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's like when he. Be- I you know that's my favorite. That's the best part of any origin story. Yeah, is is when they're like, I am the Batman, or yeah. you know where it's like they've become that thing. That's always like the moment. Um. So that's cool. It gets the cape. And um so a funny kind of moment with when Mads shows up and he's like I think he's like what's what's your name? Like strange, oh Mr. Strange. It's mm-hmm. Doctor. Okay, yeah. Mr. Doctor. Yeah. It's kind of a funny moment. Yeah. And then um <laughs> Mike is laughing really hard about it. <laughs> well, and then he he's able to like stop Mads Mickelson. And then Mads Mickelson is like do you even know what this is about? Like you're a new guy. He goes, so now we get the bad guy's motive. And he's like, part. he's like, we could have eternal life if Dormammu takes over. 
Um, and then he also says, like, and how do you think the ancient one is still around? She she takes from the dark dimension to keep her life long. Because she's like, like thousands of years old. Oh. And then he gets stabbed and he teleports to a hospital. Not just any hospital. The one that he knows. And he's like, McAdams, over here, over here. And she's like, what the, the heck? The only are you ones who are operating on him. Yeah, and they go in there, and it's the sequence we talked about earlier that Scott Derrickson like spent all his time and money on to get this job, and it's one of the cooler sequences in the movie because mm-hmm. one of the, so one of the minions gets through. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, well, okay, so she's operating on him, and he basically passes out. But his, what is it called? His like his astral his astral self body comes comes into play, and she sees him and is freaking out. Probably thinks that she's tripping, mm-hmm. and. And he's telling her what to do. Yeah, and he's like popping of, in and out. And then this other guy in the astral plane is like attacking him. So they're fighting. And it's, what's cool about that is she doesn't see them fighting. But every once in a while, their, their force is so strong that it'll knock something over. Yeah. Which it, that's a little bit of a horror thing. Yeah. That, that's really well done. Like think things moving around the room and stuff. And then she uses the... His heart stops. Yeah, his heart stops. And then she uses the... um defibrillator yeah shocks him back into life we both pantomimed yeah that. and he becomes really strong in his astral form and then she does it again and he gets he gets rid of the guy and what's cool is like he does it his heart starts beating and then he pops back up and he's like do it one more time and she's yeah. like no that'll kill you or whatever and he's and like he's like no no trust me do it one more time and then he like grabs the guy she does it and it explodes yeah. the guy and kills him and then right before that before he the the guy came and he's talking to her on the on the table they the, i liked that moment because it's like she hasn't seen him for months uh-huh. and he shows up like this yeah and like has these weird clothes too she's like what have you been doing and he's kind of like explaining it to her and she's like oh you're in a cult and he's yeah. like, well, no, it's no, it's not a cold. It's that, and she's like, no, it's a cold. Sounds like a cold, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was a pretty funny. Moment. And then, and then, um, what's cool is when he kills the guy, it goes back to his real body, and his eyes are smoking. Yeah, because <laughs> he exploded. Yeah. And then as he leaves, he's like, I gotta take care of this stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to um, New York or wherever he needs to go. Well, he's and, in New York technically still. But. Okay, and he's like, I'm gonna, and she's like, how are you gonna get there? And he's like, I'm gonna go through this broom closet and get there. And she goes, okay, if you're not gonna be honest with me, like, just don't lie to me. I and don't that care. Effect is so cool. Then because he opens it up, and the the light is yeah, shining the, on them. You both. know, the portal is like sparks of, of fire. Yeah. So yeah, it, it lights up their faces in an interesting way, and they do that thing where the, the camera moves with them. It's one shot. Yeah. And it moves with them to show the portal, and it's seamless. Very cool. It looks so good. And I want to see the no effect version of that yes because i feel like they probably just had a big light there they probably have special effects on the dvd i already sent it back oh it's probably on youtube though look yeah, it probably. up it's true um so yeah that all of that is awesome then there's this huge battle in new york again with like tilda swinton uh Chihu- Chihu- edge of four uh, and um uh i think wong is there mm-hmm. and benedict's there and mads mickelson and it's just insane i mean we can't describe it's it. not it's not able to describe you just have to see it yeah but it's, then, it's again like the the buildings collapsing in on themselves stuff yeah and Super they're cool. like kind of gears and stuff that they yes. make the buildings do and then tilda swinton like makes like an arena place yeah. and starts fighting them and it's really cool and then she gets um does she get stabbed she might get stabbed or something and then she's like thrown off a building pretty much yeah let's just say that for yeah. sake of the of a 
we're, this is a listening medium. Yeah. It's a podcast. Um, but the, the effect of her falling through the, basically that glass awning and then onto the, the, oh, the yeah. sidewalk was like super realistic. Yeah. Well, I think, I think again, I think they did, they had a stuntman do that shot. Yeah. I, I, uh, when it got closer to the ground because it was too, it was the body had too much like mass to it. Like oh, it, yeah, it, it, it hits the heavy. glass and then the glass shatters well, usually, and then it goes through. If they CGI'd that, yeah, the body would just, for some reason, they still haven't figured out the. Oh, you know how they did it? How? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go I ahead. cut you off. But I just realized so they fall on the glass and with glass like that, they have like, um, little like tiny like explosive things oh, so they that shatter it. it right before so they probably had the the stuntman land on it and then like right after they land they explode it so that it goes boom and then they fall on the concrete and the concrete's all padded stuff oh that makes sense what's funny is that stunt looks really crazy but it's probably like not that hard of a stunt for like a normal stunt it's just man crazy because like what i was gonna say with cgi they still haven't totally figured out how to not ma- to how to make person a person move super realistically because that's always the people are always too flexible in cgi yeah still um a little too fluid like moving so i feel like if there was cgi that the body would have flailed a little bit when in reality she had already passed out at that point so she wouldn't have flailed yeah because the impact was different if that makes sense totally yeah well and sometimes like with that you can just there you can see as a viewer there's like a visceral like Ugh. whereas if it's cg even if it's really good a lot of times you don't feel that Ugh. yeah um and and you know maybe they did use some other effects in it but um i'm i'm like convinced that that was a stuntman who did that which is really cool yeah um and then they take her to the hospital and they're emergency operating Rachel McAdams and then astral plane strange and astral plane ancient one are talking and she's like i've seen this moment a thousand times and there's never a way out i can't figure it out i've tried it every so her other whole way. life she has been trying to to basically her existence she has made she's made her existence to be to prevent so many natural disasters as she can before mm-hmm. this moment wait so does this mean here's an interesting thought do you think that she looked into the future to see how how she dies and then she sees that it's that far into the future, and that's why she draws power. Therefore, she's, like, kind of stuck in her own paradox because, like, she's drawing to last longer because she already knows she's going to last there, but she saw the vision, and that's why she's wanting to last longer. The vision of what? Of her death. Okay, or, well, I don't get it. What? So, like, like um, you know, say she's born in the 1800s or something. Yeah. And she she goes, I want to know like where I end up in my life. So she looks into the future and sees that moment. She's like, oh, that's in 2016. She's like, well, in order to get there, I got to figure out how to live longer. So she starts trying to learn how to live longer. And so if she had never looked ahead, would she have actually drawn power from the dark dimension? Oh. Like a, like yeah, a no, I get time that. travel paradox thing? Yeah, that is. I bet that's what happened or something. That's what? Sorry, I'm just getting really distracted by what's going on outside the window. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think they, they mentioned something about her being like from Celtic time. So that's thousands of years ago. Oh, really? So I'm assuming that she's been a mystical person her whole life. Yeah. Just because of all saying that she's Celtic says a lot of things about her being mythological. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know how long it would have taken her to 
find that eternal life thing, but maybe it wasn't that hard. Yeah. To, the hard part was making the decision not to find it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, cause it almost seems like she created this religion cult yeah. thing. When she did kind of say like part of the reason why I did live this long is cause I needed to find someone who could like replace me basically. Mm-hmm. And you're that person mm-hmm. if you choose to accept it. And, um, and she did contribute a large in large part, small, but in large part to saving all of the universe. Yeah. And she dies. Yeah. And what's cool. She says a great thing though. In that conversation that they have, it's kind what of a, she say? <laughs> it's kind of a long conversation, but it's the music's so good. There's lightning, but the it, the time has almost but stopped. So the lightning's very slow in the sky. It's snowing. She just wants to see the snow one more time. Mm-hmm. And she's she's talking to him about like him, basically his journey and who he is as a person. And she's like, "You still haven't figured it out." And he's kind of like, "What are you talking?" About? She's like, "It's not about you." Yeah. And I love that. That is probably number three of coolest quotes so far of this universe. First, it's Jake, Jill and Hall. And then it was what? What do you mean? Daniel Brule. And then it was her. Wait, favorite quotes? Yeah. What are the, what are the other quotes? What are you saying? Well, I'm not going to say it verbatim because it's been a while. But at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, uh-huh. uh, when he is about to die. Um, you can if they haven't seen it by now, okay, it's, well, their, when, it's their own fault. When he's about to die, he says something to the effect of like, man, what is it? It's so cool. Something about like <laughs> people always needing to believe in something. It's, it's something about belief. And it's just, it's, it was really, really applicable to our, to our current okay. status okay. as humans in this world, especially first world uh-huh. stuff. And then, um, Danny Brule. Oh, Danny oh, when Brule he's talking that, about like, the... he needed he he didn't need to kill the he didn't need to stop the Avengers. He needed to get the Avengers to stop themselves. Yeah. And then this one was hers. Keep talking, I'm gonna look at what he said. And then the the fourth one is Drax saying, I nothing goes over my head. I would catch it, right? That's the yeah, fourth that one. That's pretty good. <laughs> um so then she dies, and then they go to Hong Kong, which is like the last sanctum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's already fallen, and the city's being destroyed and it's being consumed by Dormammu. And they're like, what are we going to do? And then Doctor Strange has got a time stone around his hand, and he does a spell, and time starts reversing. All of this is so cool, like seeing everyone go in reverse. Yes. And here's what's cool. We've talked so many times about how the last sequences in the Marvel movies, a lot of them are so boring. Like if you cut off 20 minutes, this is like one of the few up to this point where it's like, I wouldn't cut anything from this movie. Like I I don't think so either. It's so airtight. It's airtight. And what's cool is from the point where, um, they're attacked in the library till the end of the movie, it's almost all action, but there's still a lot of good character work, but it's like action, 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 action. And it's never boring. Mm -hmm. And, and once again, not the winter soldier problem, they're going to different locations. And guess what? Some of it is not in daylight. Yeah. Only like two of them are in daylight. And this last one's in night. At night. And so, and here's here's the thing. I think that this has one of the coolest defeats of a villain in any of the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it builds up. What is this? This is the um, uh, the 14th Marvel movie, something like that. Wow. And we're getting to this point, and it's like, okay, so he's got to fight Mads Mikkelsen, then he's got to go up and fight Dormammu, and you're thinking... It's going to be that big, long, boring fight. Like, they're going to be punching each other in space or something, whatever. 
then he gets up there and he does something with the time stone, walks up to Dormammu. He's up in the cosmic realm and he goes, I want to make a bargain with you. And he kills him. And then all of a sudden he flies back over and he's like, let's make a bargain with you. He kills him. Then he flies back over and Dormammu's like, what is going on? And he goes, I set up a time loop. Okay, hang on. Let's get through this part real quick. Um, I set set up a time loop. Um, And so this will just go on forever. And he goes, no, you can't do this forever. And he's like, actually, I can, and I am going to. And so he keeps going through, and it's showing this montage of him just getting murdered. You know what's crazy, too? It's so earlier in the movie when he's playing with the stone, and they're, they catch him, and they're like, do you understand what you're, what you're doing? You could be altering time and dimension mm-hmm. and ruining ruining the universe because you're just playing with a tiny thing and they're like that means like at some point you could get yourself in an endless time loop do you want to keep dying for eternity like oh, do they say they that? say that they oh, say that in the movie i didn't even catch so it's that a, it's like gun in the closet yeah because that's what gives them the idea of like that's what i that's exactly what i'm going to do and and does if someone is obsessed with themselves, they're not going to want to die eternally. Well, that's the He's thing. He's willing to take that. There is risk. a point. I think after one of the first Mads Mikkelsen fights at the, at the New York place, yeah, um, it's kind of at the end of it. And one of them says, "I feel like it was Edge Four. It says something like, "You'll kind of the Tony thing. Like mm-hmm. you'll never not be thinking of yourself. Yeah, you'll you'll never fight for anything you believe in." And then that's what he's tested. By the mm-hmm. end of this movie is will he be altruist, altruistic or selfish? Yeah. And he chooses it. And then finally Dormammu makes the deal. And I just think, I think it's so cool because it's so, um, what, what is the word? It's like you have an expectation of what's going to happen. They, subverting expectations. Yeah. And it's, it's also cool. Like if this was maybe the first Marvel movie, maybe you'd be like, oh. But since it's the 14th, you're like, oh, they really like turn that on its head. Yeah. And then it just kind of like kills Mads Mikkelsen. Like he just like, I don't I mean, remember he gets, how he dies. Well, but. no, he gets what he wants. He, so the Dormammu guy goes away. Oh yeah. He bargains and, and takes their souls. That's what it is. And he, they're like, you see, they're like kind of disintegrating. You're like, oh, they're just going to die because they were serving this dark Lord thing. Mm-hmm. And, but then I think Dr. Strange says something like enjoy internal life. <laughs> yeah. And they, they like kind of wither away, but they're not completely withered away so you get the visual sense that it's going to be really painful for the rest of eternity for them but that's what they wanted was eternal life which is the whole time that's what like tilda swinton was saying to mads yeah like you it's not what you think it is it's not it's eternal life but it's basically having a half-life yeah so cool let me read this quote number one quote quote in the marvel franchise my opinion though People need to believe, and nowadays they'll believe anything. Was oh, that the whole quote? Yeah, it's very oh, okay. short. That is no, that is very in the context of the movie. Yeah, that's great. Because Peter says, "How could you do all this?" You'll see, Peter. People need to believe, and nowadays they'll believe anything. And it's like great. Um, yeah, I can't. That's gonna. I can't wait to rewatch that movie. I was so bummed that I only saw it once in theaters. Yeah, it was so good. It, it was just such a see, great Spider-Man. To story. see that scene again when what? Nothing. Oh, when Martin Starr is sitting on the plane next to Peter. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah. When the blip thing happened, I thought my wife died in the blip, but I guess she just ran away with some guy. Yeah, we had a whole blip party for her, or like funeral for her or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then after all this, um. Uh, edge of four is like you've you've broken all the rules i can't accept this 
and he leaves the he leaves the group because the person that he believed in the ancient one like dealt with dark arts yeah and for him that's strike three and and i think also like the way that dr strange um figured everything out is he's like and I think in his mind, he's also thinking like, well, this is what was willed to happen. And you changed like the course of what whatever is out there had planned for us. And this isn't right. I can't be a part of it. And then in the end credit scene, he goes to the paralyzed guy, takes out his power. And he said, there's too many magic people around. And he's like a bad guy now. And I hope so bad. He's the bad oh, guy in the next so movie. Cool. I mean, I can't I would be so confused if he wasn't. Yeah. Because they set it up. Yeah. But um. And then Doctor Strange has this great scene with Rachel McAdams where he just says, I'm sorry. And and he's not, there's no, like, jokes or anything in the scene. It's not like, because, like, a Tony scene, he'd be like, I'm sorry. And then he'd crack a joke, which is so Tony. And I'm not saying that's bad. But for Doctor Strange, he's just like, I'm sorry. I'm, and, and I'm selfish like to you. They share a passionate embrace. She just kind of, they hug. She kisses him on the cheek. Yeah, and she's like, thank you, or something like that. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's just great, like... It's as if her character had developed before this movie, you know, mm-hmm. because of their past relationship. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where she's like, I will always love you, but I can't be with you. Mm-hmm. So, and then he accepts that his hands are still shaking and we're just sitting around going, give us Dr. Strange too. Yeah. I want it now. Camp, I, another freaking movie. Yeah. You were like, I'm like, not excited to watch this. To and watch. I'm like, no, it's a good one. Did it's a good like one. I like it the first time and I'm watching it and I'm like, this movie is, this has got to be one of the most personal Marvel movies. It's yeah. like got a soft, like a warm place in my heart for it. And I think for us, you and I, we definitely, uh, in this phase, but because the next one's Guardians 2, and then you and I are on board. Like, the, yeah, yeah, from here right. on out, we're like on board with all the movies, right. except for the ones that are like bad. Right. Um, but I think you and I, in the, in the like years between the first Avengers and Guardians 2, it's just like, we we want to be contrarian, which is like in that time, and we wanted to not like it. So so when we would watch, like when in you watch face, Doctor right? Strange, you're thinking like, I don't want to like this movie. And uh, you know, if you don't want to like something, you can figure something upset out. Because I liked Benedict so much, I was upset that like they mm, got him. Marvel they got another got one. Him. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably another dumb reason. Yeah. Now it's like cool that <laughs> Marvel got them. Well, and you know, it's another funny thing is listening to actors talk about careers and it's so complicated it's easy to fall off it's easy to fall in the rut but if you get on a marvel contract you have a guaranteed contract for like six or seven years you have something you can always fall back on you know what i mean robert downey jr has been iron man for 11 years so he gets to like he's like you know if other things aren't working out i can still so i can still be iron man yep you know it's it's kind of nice um I love it. I think it's a great movie. Yeah, me too. Um, I I have a little list. I've been making a list of the whole thing, rating it, and I after we watched it, I bumped it up like ten, like way higher oh, than it was because yeah. it was more toward the bottom. Right. It was like above the ones I didn't like, but in the like medium realm, and I was like, oh no, I'm putting this like the bottom of the ones I really like. Yeah. Um, and then I gotta say this. Um, so. They have part of phase four. They announced the sequel and it's going to be called Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And what we know so far, it's Scott Derrickson again. Um, They're going to double down on the horror, apparently, which I love. And Scarlet Witch is going to be a big player in the movie, apparently. Hmm. 
which I mean, you know, I'm not like the, in the biggest, name and this is magic. That's what I was thinking. Like if maybe she can actually like get into the like horror part of the truly interesting thing will be if she picks up the accent again or not. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to come out May 7th, 2021. So, oh. we, so we got a little while before we got to worry about that one. It's 2019. It's 2019. Okay. Yeah. Next year is, uh, it's black, black widow oh. and the Eternals. Those are the two Marvel movies. Um, so that's all we got. Um, I will say one more thing though. Um, today, barring that every scheduling has changed, I just released the first song from my album. Uh, it's called The Dance. It's on Spotify. It's on all the stuff. Please check it out. Go listen to it. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, and I, I got an album that'll be coming out in January. We're going to be releasing singles all winter and fall. And I have a tour that starts next week. You can check my website or whatever else you follow me on to check that out. Um, come out to the tour and sh- show your Do macaw it. podcast love um anything from you joge nope okay thank you next week is guardians of the galaxy volume two get ready for some screaming um see ya <laughs>